On April 11th, we're going to be starting our next Buddhist Geeks Life Retreat, and it's on the theme and practice of meditative inquiry. And meditative inquiry, for those of you who haven't done it before, it's a practice where we use a question, an open question, something that holds meaning and significance to your practice, and we work with that question. Questions like, who am I? Or what is this? Or what is love? Are examples of questions that can be used in a meditative way. And this practice really enables what the Thai Buddhist teacher Ajahn Chah called the wisdom of uncertainty to emerge in our practice. It's in using and working with open questions where we don't have the final answer that we're able to feel into a new kind of understanding of how things are. So if you're interested in bringing the power of questions into your practice, and this sounds like an approach that resonates with you, please check it out at BuddhistGeeks.com slash retreats. We'd love to practice with you. Buddhist Geeks, exploring the convergence of Buddhism, technology, and culture. What's the sound of one geek giving? Find out at BuddhistGeeks.com slash give. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. Um, this has been so much fun being here and getting to see everybody again and meet new people. And I'd really like to thank everybody who's already actually set up this talk extraordinarily well, um, as will be really obvious as we um, go along. So first, I'd like to uh, thank uh, Charles Tart um, because he started off basically with the first part of my talk describing sort of, you know, some of what the powers are. So we've got uh, visual powers, right? So we see things, right? He was talking about remote viewing. In his example, his example was actually really good. It set up a nice thing. Here was this guy, police chief uh, or police commissioner, whatever it was, who sometimes would just sort of know things and see things. He'd see some house or he'd see whatever. So those are powers that are just happening to a person. They just seem to arise spontaneously, which is most of them, actually. The vast majority of people's experience um, with these things is spontaneous. Um, it just happens as a result of being alive or of meditation practice or of taking various things. This has also been discussed extensively or for reasons that are really hard to explain. They just all of a sudden, wow, they have this thing happen to them. And that applies to all of these. Um, where they can just do this thing. And then so the, the passive powers, as you might call them, or the spontaneous powers, are things that just occur. So this guy could just see, oh, maybe check out this house or whatever. And then you have the active powers, which is um, uh, sort of where you go, oh, let's actually try to do something, which is still spontaneous let's, from a high Dharma point of view, but it, it doesn't feel that way. So it's worth differentiating between the two. Um, and when they, you know, the DARPA or whatever, whoever it was, said, hey, why don't you see what's at this location? And he could then, oh, okay, check out and see the, the big, you know, scaffolding thing or whatever it was, gantry. And then we've got uh, auditory powers. So hearing things, um, hearing uh, celestial music, hearing um, voices, hearing all kinds of interesting stuff. And then we've got um, physical powers, as he so nicely talked about also. So 
having physical experiences of various things. We have physiological things happen, and there are a lot of those physical sensation experiences happen, or we create physical sensation things to happen, or we manipulate physical and physiological things and have those happen, which obviously involves things like telekinesis, and here we go. The real question has already come up, but I'm not going to address it quite yet. So we'll get there. Um, we already started with that, but there's, there's more. And then we have psychological and archetypal powers that arise, and, and those are this huge range that it's really hard in a 45-minute talk to even be able to um, get a handle on. But let's just say that you can have experiences that have um, extreme archetypal qualities, uh, magical experiences of um, beings, of deities, of entities, of symbols, of things that have meaning and power just beyond just the experience of the thing, but also have some, some deep mythic resonance with something within us or the world. Um, some powerful message or um, import or sense of things. And related to that are the shamanic experiences. So there are whole traditions, you know, which, where powers are what they do. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're having these interesting experiences and trying to do something useful with them, to heal a community, to bring wisdom, to predict things, to understand all kinds of things about nature and plants and animals and beings and spirits and all kinds of stuff, and they're totally cool with that. That's what they're doing. You know, that's, that's the path, right? And so even uh, talking to plants or becoming animals or whatever these things are, um, aliens you mentioned. Thank you. By the way, thank you. You've also helped set this up very nicely, um, yeah, Catherine. So anyway, um, so and then healing things, as the shamanic people are into, right? So there's all kinds of interesting healing things that you can do, and there's actually a science in, on this again. Um, so, uh, you know, physical manipulation, healing ourselves from mundane things to just like dissolving headaches to much more um, profound transformative things. And we have to be careful with this one. So I'm a doctor, right? So I would, I think Steve Jobs, where he sort of tried all this stuff and didn't, by the way, maybe get some chemotherapy or a little surgery or something. I don't know the specifics of his cancer. Like, I find that troubling. I find that kind of a waste in all honesty. But that said, I don't want to downplay these other things, what some of the very interesting things you can do with intent and concentration to heal things. I do not want to downplay it that all. And, and finding where that balance is between traditional complementary and Western dogmatic, allopathic, scientific materialist, wow, we just don't know. I mean, uh, and I don't know. So that's one of those I don't knows. Thank you for whoever's introduced the whole I don't know thing. I don't know where those lines are. Um, I can't sort that out. We're, it's in its infancy. Both of these, Western science is so new. I mean, historically, really, it's, you know, it's really incredibly fresh and how that interacts with these things. I, I can't tell you, so I'm not going to be able to answer that question in case anybody's going to ask it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so it's too complicated. Energetic powers. So energetic things are rapturous things. And raptures, as Hokai was so kind to point out um, to me right before this talk, so again, I thank all the people who have helped me with this. Um, Raptures are these interesting things of energy movement and spontaneous movement, kriyas or uh, whatever things, which can be very uh, painful um, sometimes as we stretch out channels or whatever that we you know, um, didn't know we had. And, or we suddenly have these energetic abilities right within ourselves. Wow, we can move energy around. We can change our, our posture, our, our emotions, um, even the, um, uh, the sense of the emotions of others, of a room for instance, um, we, can, we can lift 
um, energies of people, of, and we can interact in these ways seemingly even with the planet, with the world, with the universe. I don't know. It can, I don't mean to sound too trippy or crazy, um, which is one of the next topics, crazy. Um, but we, so there's some of the powers things we can do and learn to do, and sometimes will just happen to us. So often, more often, kundalini things just start happening to people um, out of a context, out of a uh, you know, a, a situation where they're normalized or they have technology to make sense of them. Technology, again, all the people who have set up technology, thank you. Um, so we've got temporal things, which are a little bit strange and not often mentioned. So time distortion, slowing time down, speeding time up, even seeming to jump around in time. Sort of a weird topic, but there are stories of this and experiences that people have where they go, wow, something really strange just happened with time. Um, and related to those things are traveling. Um, uh, so traveling out of body, um, OBEs, again, um, a lot of you actually people here have had these things. We've been having some fun talking about these things. Um, so being able to travel out of body to see things and, and, and to do things and explore things. And the journeys we can have in those realms are actually totally remarkable. The, the, the adventures, the archetypal adventures, and, and the fun we can have. So here we get the first concept of pragmatism, recreation, Really, the fun you can have in those realms is truly amazing, as well as the wisdom you can gain from seeing what your mind can do in a dreamlike state that also is sort of more hyper-real than this. So a real out-of-body thing is like this plus in terms of its crackling, visceral intensity, but it's got all that wild, lucid dream magical capability, and then all the archetypal stuff and you know intentions turn into actions and the change of the whole landscape and everything so fast that you get to see these little proto-psychological impulses can rapidly translate to these incredibly dramatic things. You can have opportunities to learn stuff about you and your beliefs and your psyche and your archetypes and your paradigms and your fears and your desires in a way that really is not easily possible, I will claim, in, in lots of other normal, more ordinary uh, ways. So from sort of an adventurous point of view, but also an exploration of self point of view, um, there, there are these remarkable experiences we can have. And again, so in theogens or the, um, you know, the psychedelics also in you know, similar territory, but um, for those who are more on the purest side of things, which is fine, um, then these are things you can do on your own power that are, can be incredibly transformative. And simply by intending to do them and cultivating them, you can um, learn to do these things and have um, very profound adventures that often are quite educational, not always pleasantly, but anyway. Uh, so we've already talked some about emotional things, but emotional powers. So, and this is sort of a question of empowerment, which is one of the other uh, joyful words that's good about the powers. So the emotional power to actually just literally change what you're feeling. Um, that is actually a really useful skill. And basically all of us here probably one way or another have learned that and been learning that since we were kids, right? Something happens and we try not to be upset about it or whatever. <laughs> But when you take this to the level of the powers, um, really you can do some truly remarkable things in terms of the sensations and the emotions um, that are available to you and the intensity of them that can pervade your being. Um, and you can cultivate these skillfully as powers, as things you actively intend. I will cast the spell of radiant happiness flooding my being with light. And these are things you can learn to do. And that can really be helpful and healing and empowering and tremendous fun. Um, so anyway, uh, and then the Brahma Viharas. So speaking of that, I, it would be um, remiss to mention them. I think the Brahma Viharas or the divine abidings, for those of you who are not all polyglots or speakers of poly. Um, the uh, <laughs> thanks. 
Very good. Um, thanks. So, the, um, so for those of you who are not polyglots, these are the divine abidings, or um, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity. So from my point of view, these are actually some of the most appropriate powers to cultivate. And they're powers that, okay, so we think of them as internal practices, right? So we can cultivate these as internal practices, and we say the phrases or whatever. And then we can take it to the jhanic or concentration level, where we actually just take the feelings, and we start to take those as object, and we, and we're, we start to fill our being um, with those senses of feelings. And then you can actually do some wild powersy stuff with those even beyond that, and actually start projecting these things out into the world, Right? And, and this can actually change the feel of a room, can change your interactions with the people you interact with. And maybe even if you want to be either uh, wondrously idealistic, perhaps, or grandiose, or perhaps realistic, I have no idea which of those is the right answer, change the entire planet and universe. God, I hope that's true. I hope so. And why not? It's fun to play with anyway. Why not try and change the whole universe by projecting these things out? onto the planet. Like, what more fun and fulfilling thing could there be than that? And it's also, even if you don't think it's actually changing the universe, the effect of doing that on your own brain, on your own psyche, on your own wiring, on your own sense of yourself, is just so wonderful feeling that it would be totally crazy not to do it from my point of view. Um, so anyway, so powers. Um, and intuitive practices. So again, it's so nicely set up. Predictive things. Um, we can uh, suddenly know things about things that might happen or things that have happened or where something is that we couldn't really know. And these intuitions are extremely common um, and actually can be consciously cultivated, not that they're always reliable. I mean, the signal-to-noise ratio of the powers is a really complicated um, topic, and how reliable are these things is a real... Wow. Um, it's hard to even know where to begin with that. But just recognize that everything you hear and see and intuit is obviously clearly not right. Uh, some of it is just delusional. Some of it's totally wrong. But actually, some of it is strangely accurate in ways that are really hard to explain from any scientific point of view in the scientific materialist, you know, me mechanistic universe of Newton and, and, and all that. And, I, you know, I have a lot of science training, so it's not like I'm not into science. I use science every day, right? I've got an MSPH in epidemiology, and I've got most of a degree in electrical engineering, and by the way, an MD, so I've got a ridiculous amount of science training. I've published papers on scientific things, and, um, but, you know, but, uh, you know, but, but, you know, but that said, science has real limits. I mean, one of the interesting things is if you study science long enough, you start to realize the problems with it, you know, which not everybody does. But um, so anyway, but it's there. Um, so where was I? And, and, and that's an incredibly short list of the powers, right? I mean, that's like a really small list. And there are people here who I'm sure who have had powers experiences that are just going, oh, yeah, that's totally inadequate list. And it is. So just realize I'm not trying to be comprehensive. I don't have a lot of time. So convergence. So these are universal human experiences, and the theme of the, the conference is convergence. And these are incredibly human experiences. Nearly every single person has had some sort of powersy thing that science doesn't easily explain, right? From the sense of being stared at, which is fascinating books on this, um, to suddenly knowing who's on the phone before they pick it up, um, to all, all, I mean, the, and, and all of these things, there are experiences we can have, and it's very common for meditators actually to have little powersy things, to have energetic things happen, to have the sense of knowing something they couldn't possibly have known, to suddenly know things about others, to have um, anyway, and to travel out of body. I mean, it's you know these things happen to kids. I know, I know, you know, people had these things happen to them six years old. We were just talking at lunch, sorry, at breakfast about um, uh, you know, some of these things, and so these are universal human experiences, right? So they they um, should bring us together. And somehow they really totally don't, which is sort of odd. 
um, but we'll talk about that. So um, anyway, um, and so the Buddha. So we're going to talk about the triple gem here in terms of convergence. This is a Buddhist conference. Let's talk about the Buddha. The Buddha was totally into talking about the powers, apparently. So if we can believe the old text, who knows? Um, but, but if we take them as having some sort of representation of what might have been going on back then, in the tradition at least, the Buddha was totally into the powers, always talking about how he had powers, always demonstrating powers, advertising the tradition based on the possibility of cultivating the powers, saying that cultivating the powers was an incredibly good idea, praising those who cultivated the powers, and by the way, sometimes saying they were a totally bad idea. So it's really interesting to watch the Buddhist, right? And so like, so with, you can find within a few sutras of each other, you know, if you read these old books, like the powers are amazing. The Buddha used these powers to do all these things. Bhante Moggallana, you know, was a master of the powers. You want to learn about, about the powers? Go talk to him. He the man, you know, to, you know, to, um, to saying these are abhorrent. These are a sidetrack. These are, you know, dangerous. Do not demonstrate these to, you know, drum up interest in the Dharma. Beware, be careful. Um, and I think both of those points of view are a totally reasonable thing to have. And figuring out how to apply both of those points of view to these things is really the trick, you know, is really the tricky thing. And that's not easy. I'm not going to say it is. So, um, and thus we've got Buddha, right? Big into powers. And then we've got the Dharma, which is just chock a block full of the powers, right? And good advice for the powers and lists of the powers and explanations of how to cultivate the powers. And we find that in most of the traditions to some degree. The Tibetans, um, you know, would, would take, um, plenty of the traditions would take powers as their primary path. You would literally visualize these intricate, luminous, um, you know, beings who you, you know, you take as the embodiment of the wisdom thing and then you merge with them and, you know, pervade your body with all these qualities and literally transform your whole consciousness into some sort of a, a deity. I mean, that's power stuff, right? I mean, that's Tantra, some aspects of Tantra in a, in a nutshell. Um, or you take, you create these things and then you see their true nature and it creates realization. You know, so, I mean, so you've got that end way over here. And then you've got, you know, sort of coming to the middle, you've got like the Theravada, which has a lot of very straightforward, pretty practical, you know, the Theravada, it's kind of dry and <laughs> I'm into the Theravada, but, you know, it's like kind of instruction manuals, you know, for how to cultivate these things like the Vasudhimaga and Vimudhimaga and, you know, uh, Fruits of the Homeless Life and the Majjhimanikaya and all these sutras, right? I mean, so there's lots of instructions that you find, although not a lot of it is practiced today unless you go to certain monasteries, you know, some of the more concentration-heavy monasteries. You can find it in a few places, but not a lot, but it's there, you know, and if you want more of it, you can find it. Um, and then we we have Zen sort of way over here on the extreme other side, which really has a whole different take on maps and techniques and everything. Um, and at its best really can help provide something really necessary, which is that sort of light, humorous perspective that says, you know, these are just sort of experiences and they come and go and they're Buddha nature intrinsically and, and don't take them too seriously, like, right, you know, just see these are moksha or illusion, just like all the whole thing is, some sort of um, thing, and that's really Zen at its, its best, and, and it's, if you sort of can take from all these, right, I'm a pragmatist at heart, right, so if you can take some of the best from all of these things and, and balance the sense of humor with the, you know, incredibly rich sort of Catholic level, level of profound iconography and, I, you know, and um, you know, meaning and richness and the complexity of the Tibetans with the sort of nice, down-to-earth, pragmatic, dry, but effective stuff of the Theravadan, then, then you know, sort of when I look at all of those, I want to take the best of those you know, in my modernist way and try to figure out how to incorporate those at least into my own practice. And I would advocate something like the same if you're interested in those sorts of um, converging 
um, uh, things. But you know, you also have to be careful about unbundling these things, right? So, so, uh, and and then finding that balance of unbundling, taking the best from, um, versus rebundling, remembering that these things are part and parcel of these traditions, come from traditions, benefit from the support and the conceptual frameworks and the sort of uh, safe containers that then allow uh, good expansion out beyond them in a sane, safe way is really useful. And again, I, you're going to have to find that balance for yourselves, but raising the question and recognizing that it's an important question is obviously one that's been raised a lot um, here. And then Sangha, right? So Sangha is so important as we hear today uh, gathered in Sangha, right? A great community of cool, cool people talking about fascinating things and their practices and having a good time. The weird thing is that the powers in, um, in our modern context typically are totally antithetical to Sangha, right? They really alienate people. They really alienate people. They become these walled off sort of experiences that people don't talk about or only in whispers behind closed doors and small groups of trusted friends, usually not with the whole Sangha, right? How many times in your Sangha has someone really talked about, you know, either having these experiences or even weirder actually cultivating them, you know, and doing things with them, right? I mean, it's very taboo, right? It's totally taboo. That's why, you know, everybody laughed when, you know, Daniel's going to talk about the powers. Oh, God, you know? Anyway, um, but it, these things are incredibly alienating, and Sangha is so important. So I would advocate, uh, particularly with the powers, um, which can be confusing. They can be destabilizing. They can be very strange. They can cause weird experiences. They can cause weird reactions. They can cause weird identity formations, like, oh my golly, maybe I'm nuts, or oh my golly, I'm so amazing, or you know, whatever it is. Um, that those sorts of destabilizing, confusing, you know, out of our normal context, out of our normal boundaries, outside of our culture. You know, we weren't raised to handle these things. They don't teach you how to handle them in junior high school, for instance, which is too bad, you know, because people have these things even when they're young. Um, but uh, so they actually cut us off from exactly what we need regarding them, which is community and the wisdom of the community and traditions, the wisdom um, of people who have experience with them and have navigated them. Um, successfully, the uh, wisdom of people who have hopefully come to some sort of mature relationship um, to them. And if we can't talk about them and we can't share them and we don't feel comfortable talking you know, with skillful people about this, then that's really antithetical to Sangha, which is obviously a core foundation of what makes this all work. So I would highly recommend um, anybody who's having these experiences or who wants to play with them, particularly people who want to play with them and cultivate them, find people who are good at this, who are sane, who are kind, who are reasonable and skilled in these things, both in their benefits and their downsides. And I uh, claim you are likely to do a whole lot better and pragmatism is what I care about. So it's outcomes. It's where the rubber meets the road. How is your life? How is your mind? How, you know, how are your relationships? How is your community? How is this world? Those things I claim will go a whole lot better if you're able to plug into Sangha. Um, so pragmatically, what's, fun, what's good about these things? They are fun, okay? Let's just say it. The powers are friggin' fun. They are such a party. If you're the kind of per people who like adventure movies or like lucid dreams, then I would recommend the powers. They really, at their best, are such a party, it's hard to explain it. And once you get your concentration strong enough to actually access these things reliably, it is hard to, it's hard to explain how totally cool they are, okay, if you can avoid flipping out, which we'll get to. So anyway, um, so, anyway so, uh, that's my quick plug for them. And they can be useful, right? As we talked about, there are things you can heal with them. There 
your intuitions you can have about them, you know, have with them. There are levels of psychological exploration that you can do with these that are very, very hard to get to, you know, just in an ordinary talk therapy session, right? I mean, if you actually, you know, see the example from my book, but you know it, like, you know, um, you know your, de your parents manifesting as demons who are, you know, hurling flaming stuffed animals at you. Like, you know, that's got a, an oomph to it. <laughs> anyway, so, um, and, uh, you know, and uh, so that's some of the fun things. Um, but now we're going to talk about crazy, right? So we're going to talk about crazy. And that's one of the reasons these things are sort of taboo, right? And warnings, you know, the warning signs, right? People can flip out. You know, people can flip out with regard to the powers. You know, these things can make you pretty cuckoo, as well, Kenneth uh, Folk uh, told me, you know, from someone who said in Burma, you know, people who, who do sh uh, shamatha practice, sometimes they go a little mad. It's his quote. But anyway, did I get it right? Close enough. Anyway, so <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, so, you know, and it's true. So, like, you know, you are, uh, from a certain medical psychopathology point of view, you are intentionally hallucinating, right? You're intentionally going psychotic, you know? And, and that's, that doesn't always go well. Let's just be honest about that. And that's reasons to, you know, if you're kind of crazy, you're in kind of a crazy mood or kind of crazy headspace, I wouldn't go there. Like, I'd, I would just say, no, maybe another time. Like, you know, and, and if you're feeling really good and clear and you're like, no, I've got my life together, I'm cool, my brain's good, I'm in a good place, yeah, okay, maybe that's a better time to go there just as a general suggestion, um, if that makes sense. And having a whole lot of training, if you want to be really formal about it and kind of much more sort of safe about it, get into a tradition where they give you all the preparatory stuff to go into that. Right? And, and that preparatory stuff is not just preparatory for the powers. It's just a darn good idea in general just for your own mental health, well-being, and learning cool and useful things. So, you know, I would think about having the wisdom of a tradition to help support you in that. And so what do I mean by crazy, though? So there's, I, I, I live in the South, and I get to work with people who are Pentecostals. There's Pentecostal churches just, you know, within miles of my house, a number of them, actually. And these are the kind of um, people who their idea of a good time on Sunday morning is to speak in tongues, right? And so they, they would do all kinds of wild and interesting things on Sunday morning in their church. And then when they come to work, they don't. <laughs> cool, right? That's great. Like, I love that. You know, they don't. They take care of patients. They give appropriate medications, you know, based on the standard dosages. And we, you know, use science to do useful things. That's great. Like, so know when to turn them on and when to friggin' shut them off. You know, that's really a useful skill. And that's not always easy. So they, they know when to shut it on and shut it off, right? And if you find you can't do that, you have a problem. Particularly, as, if it, as Freud said, it's interfering with love and work. Right, so if it's interfering with your relationships, whatever, you know, uh, powers he experiences, you're having visions, voices, energetic stuff, you know, interesting beliefs, intuitions, whatever. If it's messing up your life and work, you have a problem with the powers. Okay, that's my quick, straightforward criteria for how do you diagnose a problem. Those are your signs, right, by standard psych psychotherapeutic, you know, 101. And you need to talk to somebody and you need to figure out how to shut them down or modify them. Does that make sense? Or relate to them in some different way. And that's just my quick, pragmatic take on them. You know, you can be, play with them later, shut them down now, and get back to stabilizing good, important things like love and work. Okay, that's my, again, relatively pragmatist take on them. Um, and then, if that doesn't work, maybe really get real help. Okay, so being a doctor, I see people who are actively, floridly psychotic and dangerous, and they need emergent stabilization, right? Plus, minus, you know, uh, you know shamans, plus, minus, um, context plus minus meditation teachers plus minus good Dharma friends plus minus whatever. But you know, if if you're really going nuts, 
tell somebody and get real help. Um, that's my sincere and profound advice to you. So we will have good outcomes. And Noel will accuse me of being irresponsible and selling these things because I would hate it if I uh, advocated for these things and then something bad happened, which um, can happen. So don't think these things are entirely safe. That is my very important um, uh, warning. Um, so wrong concentration. When we get our concentration powerful, if you actually decide to cultivate these things, you have to treat it like a... a, a laser beam, like a flamethrower, like a torch. And if you decide to cultivate these things, you need to keep it on track. And you need to keep it on track with a high degree of immediate modification to deviations if you have a task. If you start to go off into what really seems to be crazy land, paranoia, you know, voices telling you to be, do bad things, stop right then. Bring it into line. And if not, stop practicing and stabilize and ground down. Um, Paradigm divergence. So another problem with these things is they can cause paradigm divergence. So people are having powers, obviously live in a different reality from, say, a scientific materialist. We are tribal people, and our relationship to the powers is tribal, right? And the more we start to believe or experience things that are different from the way our tribe thinks, the more we start to have a paradigm divergence from our tribe. That can very rapidly cause conflict if we publicize that. Hence, um, the pragmatic advice is if you are in a tribe of people who has a different paradigm related to the powers, might want to keep that under wraps, which is one of the reasons these things are taboo. Okay, so I'm simultaneously decrying the taboos and also saying, yeah, there are reasons for them, right? You don't want to walk into your boss's office and tell them about these things unless you have an extremely unusual boss. Does that make sense? Right. Um, and so just like the Pentecostals who don't talk about speaking in tongues at work, um, same thing um, definitely applies. And paradigm convergence is some, I'm sorry, divergence is something you have to watch because your paradigm gets farther out um, it can be harder and harder to totally keep that under wraps wherever you are, just a general uh, warning. The powers can lead to people taking themselves way too seriously. Um, I have the powers. Um, like, it's a serious problem, right? And so just, I'm just going to say that enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, don't do that. Um, and believing them to be more than they are or more capable of doing things than they are and neglecting other useful life things. Um, so if I want a drink of water, like I do right now, I'm going to reach under here with my hand. Um, and pick this up and drink it. Rather than stand here trying to get the water glass this way. Um, so, but it's a ridiculous example. But actually, if you find people get into magical communities, they can start to think, oh, if I just do this, everything will be fine, or I can solve all these problems. No, maybe you needed the real world solution to a lot of those uh, things. Um, so anyway, and ethically challenging. So these things are incredibly ethically challenging, right? It is, it is just... They are so tempting. They are so sticky, right? And that's why the Buddha sometimes said, ah, they're a, board, they're a sidetrack, right? And they're ethically challenging. So my, um, the ethics discussion of the powers could be like days of talking. But anything you would not do to somebody physically or verbally, I would not do with the powers to them. That's my quick and dirty, like, that is, and it's not a complete standard. There are problems with it. But, but I would just, anything you wouldn't do to them physically, I would not do to them with the powers. And that'll get you through a lot of um, trouble. And that brings me to the question of the individual powers, or what I would call the personal powers, right? They're, they're just the experiences that are happening within you in your own mind and body. Obviously, you want to treat yourself ethically, right? Be kind and healthy about what you experience in your mind and skillful and all that. But um, the public powers or the interactive powers, those are the things that really cause ethical trouble. I mean, it's all fun and good to manipulate energy stuff, 
um, with other people unless you're doing it to say, you know, seduce your boss's wife or some terrible thing, right? Which people do. I mean, so the interesting thing is if you hang out in the world of meditation long enough, you will find endless reports of scandal and they're real and people do terrible things with powers or reports of powers or abuse of, you know, or, you know, they send, the, and it can make people really sort of headily um, kind of stupid, right? I mean, they they're suddenly have all this capability and then they do really stupid things with them. It's kind of like, you know, you, you, you don't give kids um, nuclear weapons, and there is a reason for that. Um, the governments have them is even a serious problem. Um, but, uh, but you see what I mean. And the same thing uh, applies to these. Um, uh, so real care around them should these experiences occur. Um, so benefits. What are some of the other benefits of the powers? I'm a pragmatist, right? I care about, like, what can you do with these things, the good sides, the bad sides, you know? Um, and so the benefits of the powers. A lot of them can be really stage diagnostic. So I'm into the stages of insight meditation, right, and the stages of the development of attention. And there are actually certain stages, which I'm not going to go into a ton of map theory right here, because you can look this up later, but such as a stage called the arising and passing away, which is just totally prone to people having spontaneous powers experiences. Plenty of people have never had them, weren't looking for them, didn't know what they are, and Kundalini stuff, rapturous stuff, vision stuff, energetic stuff, um, and knowing other things. I had a friend who ran into this on a Guanca retreat and suddenly had the uncanny ability to actually read people's cards, wandered out into the forest, into a town, started gambling with people and won a whole bunch of money because um, he could actually see what was on the other side of their cards and know what was in their hands. Like, and then it faded when the, that stage faded and it was gone. Like, you know, this is my friend Pete. Anyway, um, you know, and so, uh, and so these, there are certain stages where they're just, it's really common to have people have Kundalini stuff, vision stuff, energetic stuff, and all kinds of other wild stuff, past life stuff, um, all kinds of interesting powersy things happen. Time distortion stuff. And then going after the arising and passing away, this big high peak experience of, oh my golly, unit of stuff, then there's the dark night, which can be prone to all these sort of weird, creepy things. The sense of your body suddenly becoming a skeleton that then rots and dissolves through the floor, or weird, creepy visions of like, you know, violent things or bad stuff, right? And so some of these, you know, they're good powers experiences, and then there are bad, creepy powers experiences, and those bad, creepy powers experiences are actually kind of state and stage diagnostic of, of particularly if they come after the arising and passing away, of the dark night. So you can do a little bit of self-diagnosis, with a whole lot of other map theory, hopefully in support and a grain of salt, um, about when you're start if these experiences are occurring, they are actually associated with certain stock um, meditation stages, and so those are part of the diagnostic criteria actually for them that can help you figure out kind of where people are using map terminology. Um, and uh, let's say anyway, we talked about <laughs> okay. Um, so and then causality. Right? So causality is this really complicated thing that we try to figure out. And the powers can actually teach you things about causality um, that can sort of amaze you. Um, so uh, I know someone who started having all these experiences of like how their ancestors led to this, led to that, led to this thing, like, you know, led to them and like how all these, you know, sort of interesting things had gone down through the generations to um, create who they were and got a better sense of themselves and like how they had ended up there through these very visionary sort of mythic experiences of their family. And those things can actually be really sort of uh, powerful and interesting and, and transformative and give us all kinds of things and insight into immediate causality. Like we intend to do this and all of a sudden this thing happens in experience. Those are some profound things um, to explore in terms of intent leading to action. Um, 
And then there's an inspiration for concentration. So another thing that the powers can do is really tempt people, right? The Buddha said, do not advertise with these things, and then went out and advertised with these things. And one of the things that he advertises, if you got your concentration really strong, which is a generally skillful thing to do, if you engage in right skillful concentration on skillful meditation objects in a skillful context, um, then these things start becoming much easier, right? So the standard you know, text will say, you know, do this casino or this visualization or this genre or whatever, and then all of a sudden it, it becomes much easier to have these experiences. You sit, get your concentration strong, and so this can be a drop. People are like, wow, I want to learn to get my concentration strong, and it's simply in the process of getting their concentration strong, actually learn a lot about how to control their minds, about their minds. They can gain a lot of insights, and so that draw to the powers can actually lead you over to awakenings and other um, healing and um, all kinds of useful things. So they are used as sort of a sticky hook, you know, like candy, the carrot um, approach uh, to hooking people into meditation. And then there is insight. So at their very best, you see the true nature of these phenomena. Um, I'm sort of known for writing about descriptive meditation state and stage stuff. Right? It's one of my little claims to fame in MCTB or whatever. But the, the thing that I had was actually I was learned to get my concentration strong and to see these things in realms of visualized stuff. Like, you know, uh, landscapes and deities and all these interesting experiences that really helped to, with the phenomenology and to gain insight from these things, right? So, so that's the, so really in a Buddhist context, you, you get your concentration, you get your morality trip together, you get your concentration strong, and you, you know, make in the powers, and then you can use all that as a basis and support for insight. And insight of actually seeing the true nature of phenomena, seeing the intrinsic luminosity, term that was used earlier, uh, uh, luminosity of phenomena, the emptiness of phenomena, the impermanence of phenomena is strangely easy comparatively in the realm of the powers because it's like they have the fluidity and the, the something and the instantaneous arising and dissolving, as Hokai so rightly pointed out, of dreams, um, except they're this. They're your full field of experience. They're these amazing things. And, and some of the best of the Tibetan traditions and the Vajrayana, Shingon, et cetera, um, uh, traditions use these as primary path and for a reason, because they're incredibly um, transformative. Um, where are we doing um, paradigm fluency expansion? Oh, yeah. Another reason to learn about these things, sorry, is if you want to teach, right? If you want to teach, you're going to have students uh, and friends, and if you're going to be in Dharma communities, who are going to run into these things, right? You're going to have people who run into this stuff. People run into this stuff. It is oddly common, you know? Um, and if you want to have a sense of, like, how to meet them in a skillful way with re regard to those experiences, it makes sense to have had those things for yourself, right? Or at least to know, actually, I don't know much about those, but I do know somebody who does. You know, there's a person over there I would go talk to. They they've got real powers chops. Um, and they're a skillful person to talk to. I one time went up to IMS to talk to a teacher, and they said, actually, I don't know anything about those things. This is when I was first trying to learn these things. And they said, no, but go talk to um, somebody else at Guy House, and she's really good at that. That's like, she's, like, known for that, and that would be a good person to talk to. And that turned out to be true. Um, so anyway, um, blah, 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 Actually, I'm good. Okay. So that's my talk. And... Um, Thanks. Um, questions? And anything, by the way, anything. Like, I'm wide open to this stuff. You know, there's nothing taboo about this stuff here, so. Just for any of you who are worried about taking drugs, we just took one together, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. You're already. 
you're already in, so you might as well try other ones. Um, uh, there are two things that are coming up for me, one about healing and one about unethical abuse of power. The first Zen retreat I went on, it took about two days for my ego to kind of relax, and as soon as my ego relaxed, this thing that popped up was, this is a cult, get the fuck out. And I was like, whoa, is this real? And I actually like planned how I was going to escape in the middle of the night. I, like, I relaxed a little bit more, and uh, I didn't die. No one killed me on this Zen retreat. But um, witnessing some of... I'm trying to be vague. I don't, this isn't about like calling someone out, but witnessing some of the behaviors in some teachers, I have seen that they are abusing these powers. And luckily, because I hang out with shamans and I know the psychedelic world, I could see it. And I just don't know that many people in the Buddhist community are trained to recognize this kind of abuse and it borders on sorcery. Yeah. And I'm, no, I'm it, being completely I serious. It may not border on. Is sorcery. Maybe sorcery, yeah. Um, so I guess something that I, I would ask you to kind of reflect on that. And also the piece about healing. Um, I went to church a couple of weeks ago. This is what also psychedelics do. They just open you up to all sorts of things like going to church. Yeah. And um, <laughs> there was a whole teaching about Jesus and John the Baptist. And they both were wondering, are you, got, are you for real? And Jesus said, I can't tell you I'm for real. I can only show you what I can do. And he healed people. And I forget what John the Baptist said, but basically it was in action and kind of showing what they can do with the powers that they proved who they were. So between the kind of the guru abuse of power and the actual like healing, I mean, what, what do we do with all of this? Like, how do we do this the most, most ethical way that actually helps people? Yeah, so I think the, the first thing is actually the conversations. Is, is the, the, if you have concerns um, then, uh, you know, whoever there are the people you address that with, um, that you, that people somehow feel more comfortable talking about these things, you know, and we've got to talk about these things more. I mean, that's really the first defense is Sangha and communication and shining the light on these things. Um, not that there are always appropriate mechanisms in place to deal with them. Plenty of teachers are unregulated. You know, they don't have bodies that, you know, um, modify them. Or even if they do, they're not willing to. Um, and those are flaws in the system that, unfortunately, I have a hard time fixing. Um, but if you see a lot of that, either try to bring light to it. Or if you can't save them, get away from it and save yourself. would be my quick. That's, it's, a, it's a coarse answer. Um, but it would be my first thoughts on the subject. I don't know. Is any of that... And then um, in terms of actually demonstrating them, wow, you know, it's... And I'm sorry, it's like, I'm gracious. like, oh, by the way, Jesus. Yeah, so, so. yeah, by the way, <laughs> You know, and the nice, the Hindu Vedanta kids are so much more comfortable with that. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of considered normal behavior for them. The Buddhists really not so much. And so, like, you know, if, if you want more of that, we do have to figure out how to become more comfortable with some of those things. Because if you go to Burma or whatever, I've never actually been, but I'm told it's like part of the tradition there. They expect some magical healing stuff to take place. They expect some transformation things. People also think of some of the monks particularly as healers, at, you know, from a psychic powers you know, point of view. And uh, we're just not that comfortable with that in the West, as, as uh, Lama Karma so said, the, the dual whammy of Protestantism and scientific materialism has totally screwed us on that front. Um, and so, you know, how do we, hopefully conversations like this and good gatherings of people like this um, will be, you know, part of the thing that helps figure out how we can be simultaneously a little more mature about them, utilize them, and also have them be less of the screaming, terrible shadow side. They very often become in magical communities, particularly. They're just known for that kind of crap. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's a serious danger. I don't know if any of that's helpful. but yeah, Thank um, you.
After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.